Duane. Yeah. All right, everyone, we're going to go ahead and get started with our next interview. Uh, we're going to have an interview with Six Hakage and Afro Coco Puffs cosplay. Good afternoon. Hi, Mark Hi. with Blurredography. How are y'all? Good. good. How are you? Good, good, good. So I want to start off this interview with a little fun question. You're a cosplay couple. So let me ask you, why are cosplaying couples the best couples? <laughs> <laughs> you go first. I'll let you have that one. Because we're fun. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's just good because we can do any and all things together. Of course, we have our regular life, family, but also our, ha- our hobbies are similar. So everything we do is like together and it just makes it more fun to do things, any and all things together. Yeah, it's important to have similar interests. Yeah. That's, that really is what makes it fun. Yeah. All right, JB of JB versus the world. You guys look great, by the way. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Now, what's a couple's cosplay that you haven't done yet that's on your check off list to do? We have a long list. We have a lot. Rip them off. We have a lot. Do you remember any of them? I know we got Bane and Poison Ivy. Yeah. We have an Afrocentric Superman, Superwoman cosplay yeah. we're working on right now. Yeah. That's our that's probably gonna be our next big thing. Afrocentric. We try to make most of our cosplays pro black. That's what yeah. we very I can my mind just went blank. We have like a long list of a couple of things that we're doing right now, but yeah. Yeah. I think the Superman, the superhero one is the main one we're we're about to focus on now. But yeah. yesterday, Friday we did um, Jiraiya and Naruto, and we colored it up. So I had dreads, and she had uh, the dreads were her. <laughs> and then yesterday, we did Kaido and um, Yamato from One Piece. So, yeah, we got a couple of things. That's, oh, this is, like, super long. It was all her idea. You she helped had, a little. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right, thank you. No problem. Thank you. Hello, Robert from Lurdography. So, can you tell me, what's a cosplay individually that, you have been like the most proud of the most accomplished for and what's one that you've done as a couple like a couple cosplay that you both were like yeah this is it you go first me go first okay i think for my individual one i did avatar for the culture so i didn't think it was going to be as big as it was because i just i like make most of my cosplays for color for us i did it at BlurCon for the first time and I was gonna stop every every ten seconds, but I just thought it was really cool because Avatar is my favorite. One of my fa- I still I think it's an anime. It's one of my <laughs> it's one of my favorite animes, and I just wanted it to be about me. So I think that was my individual one that that stuck out the most. I know the most impactful uh, cosplay that I've done so far is when I cosplay Hinata because that's how this whole thing got started. Yeah. Um, but as far as uh, cosplay. Please. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as the cosplay that I'm actually proud of, um, I cosplayed Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn, um, but I made everything from scratch and that took a lot of time. And so when everything came together, I was really proud of myself. I was like, oh, I did it. And it looked good and everything. So I'm really proud of that one. And what about as a couple? Love us. Oh. Our best one together. That's a good question. Yeah, that's I th- a good I think we're about to do Kratos and Freya from God of War. And I yeah. think that's I think that's gonna be the one that's gonna Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I have a special place in my heart for Kratos. He loves Kratos. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm the beard, but 
Yeah, you get it. You yes. Know. So yeah, yeah, I think when we come out with our Kratos and Freya, that's going to be a really good one for us together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. All right. Individually and as a couple, what is you guys' nerdy origin story? Like, how did you come to come down this path as fans of the of the medium and as a couple? How does it affect your relationship? Oh, you go first. <laughs> okay, first individually, I pretty much go back and forth between genres. I do did watch anime before, but I watch pretty much everything, like from old sitcoms and I watch Sanford and Son. I watch I Love Lucy a lot. Watch regular regular shows but also threw some anime in there too but after after covid hit everybody was stuck at home i started focusing more on anime so i'm like i really got into anime and then not too long after that i started cosplaying that's how i got started with that what well, cosplay okay <laughs> that's yeah I, my first cosplay was itachi from naruto how I got started with that, I was in a Facebook group and somebody posted their cosplay. And I was like, what is that? And that's all cosplay. And everybody was like, oh. So I looked it up and I saw there was a whole community of cosplayers. So I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. So that's how I started. As far as my fandom, I started, I'm, I'm about to show my age. but <laughs> <laughs> My dad had a VHS. And so he put it on TV for me just to shut me up. But it was, I think it was a Fist of the North Star. Oh. And, yeah. So when I was young, that was my first anime. <laughs> so after that, I just fell in love. I started with Project Echo, and I just, I went everywhere from there. And then, but animes has, it was always my starter. And then, oh, I'm, I'm into DC and Marvel, but animes, like, that's my heart. But as far as cosplay, um, I was always to dress up for Halloween. I was waiting for Halloween because I was like, but I'm going to be Wolverine, add these little <laughs> plastic claws and everything. But I was at, actually at work on the interview, and I came downstairs, and there was a con going on. I'm like, what is this? What is it? So I started asking questions, and they told me what cosplay was, and I was like, I've been missing out my entire life. So <laughs> that's how I started doing cosplay. It was, I saw people doing it, and I was like, this is my life now. This is my personality for the next 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and as a couple. Oh, yeah. How'd you guys start out? Oh, okay. You know, us. Separately, but we pretty much, we went to the same con. That's what we actually met in person at the same con, at Blurred Con. And we interacted a little, but not too much. But afterwards, down the line, we started talking a little bit more and more. And we realized that we have a lot more in common than we thought. Not just with cosplay, but like life. We have so much in common. It's crazy. And even right now, we... I know it's cheesy. You're talking about finishing each other's sam- sandwiches. <laughs> Did I say sandwiches? That's what we say in Frozen. I'm so Okay. Well, yeah, we, I know that's cliche and all that. Finish each other's sentences. Sandwiches. Uh, okay, right. that too. But, like, we really do. Like, we, he'll say something right before I say it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just can't wait to say that. It's crazy. But that has, happens, mm-hmm. like, way too much for comfort. Even, so. even through text, we do it. Like, we'll send something at the same, same time. And we're like, really? Yeah, like, even- the same gift and everything. We'll yeah. send it at the same time. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah. But I love you forgot the question. No, nah, it's funny because like, <laughs> we, we have so much alike. Like we say and love the same stuff. But individually, we balance each other out because she can sew with no other. And I can build stuff with foam. So we like when we start doing cosplays together, we balance. Hey, can you sew this? Hey, can you make me this? So we found a balance with the things that we are, our talents. I think it was a, you said our first, it was, what was our first couple's cosplay? 
our first couple's cosplay. I don't think it was something that we built for that. I think we just happened to have something from the same from the same anime. But we don't remember. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the bottom line. Yeah, just <laughs> a beautiful story. Thank you guys. Thank, oh, thank you. you. Hello, you both. <laughs> All right, so Afro Coco Puff, you are highly known for bringing in the black cosplay anthem <laughs> of Hanada isn't black. But later on, you just released a song that you both did a video together of banging on the counter. <laughs> How did you get him involved in the video? <laughs> okay. Well, he, he pulls up with a lot of my shenanigans. It's the other way around. <laughs> Cause you guys know how I do with my with my videos. I'm the same way off camera as I am on camera. Yeah. So I just came up. I did come up with the idea randomly because I was cooking and our spices come together sometimes. And I was like, this <laughs> this would be a good idea for a video. <laughs> I'm just I was humming to myself, coming up with the tune and stuff. And so I was like, okay, babe, I got an idea for a video, and I need you to I need you to help me. It's, that's, that's not what how it went. <laughs> she said, I have an idea. This is where you need to be. <laughs> That's pretty much your act. Don't make it seem like I threaten you. So, um, uh, you guys already know I do music and stuff. So I like coming up with random, stupid topics that just people either relate to or that wouldn't really think of it being a song. I like doing catchy stuff, but. Yeah, that's pretty much how it started. I was cooking, and I noticed that my seasonings were all clumped together, mm -hmm. and I hit it. I was like, oh, that would be a good idea for a song. And th that's how long. That's pretty much how it started. Just very stupid. <laughs> okay, so the both of you are legends in the Blurred cosplay community and are becoming legends just in the geek community in general. My question to you is how do how does it make you feel seeing how expanded the Blurred community has become? We're at Momocon and there's a ton of POC cosplayers, black and brown cosplayers finally coming out and just being themselves and it's because of the work that you two have done by just being yourselves how does that make you feel knowing that you, you. both are just icons <laughs> and like people look up to you because of hanada isn't black and uh like you said your your avatar a <laughs> is <laughs> on point i, I powerful <laughs> so yeah. powerful yeah go ahead you got it that's what is it's the honor and it's a privilege to have left a positive impact on this community. We need representation. We need positive figures to look up to because we already get so much backlash and so much negative light as it is. So seeing spaces that we can be comfortable and be ourselves in and then knowing that I did help some people to continue doing something that they love, something that they were afraid to at first because they were afraid of being trolled or the negative comments, but them saying, oh, after I heard your song, that just encouraged me to continue cosplaying or I got into cosplay because I'm not afraid of right now because I see the work that you do and everything. This is a really good feeling and seeing spaces like Momocon where we can be ourselves and we can do cosplay our way and everything is a really good feeling. Mm -hmm. I think with me, I First, I want to say that Momocon has such black excellence here. Yeah. <laughs> I love Momocon so much. This is like the kind of go to every time it's available because I love the culture here. Absolutely. And I love walking around seeing us in a positive manner. I think for me, I don't really consider myself a legend or icon because he's humble. 
It's not blessing. I don't anyway, think but, you but, have a choice in that. Yeah. Yeah. We're making you the list. He just humble. I love when people say to me that, that I inspired them to do something. But also, when somebody tells me that, I always let them know. I say, I'm, you are just as important as I am. Like, you are sitting here in an amazing cosplay, and you're here. And that's a major step, just coming out here in cosplay. I think that's, I always just let people know that I'm not above anybody. You're just as important as what we're doing to this, what we're, the Blur community, than anything. Yeah, we're just so. normal. We're normal people, but yeah. <laughs> that just proves that anybody can cosplay. You don't have to, you know, be extravagant with it, or you don't have to be in a certain tax bracket. Like, you can do closet cosplays to just be yourself and do the cosplay how you want to do it, and don't be ashamed of it. Just, be, just enjoy it, because some people think they can't do something. If you just take that step, like, the scariest thing is taking that first step. I just, I, my goal is always just to push people, just not be scared, just be yourself and have fun because I'm a 200 plus bald cosplayer. I'm like, <laughs> I can, we can, you can do it too. It doesn't matter what you do or how you look, just enjoy life. And that's, enjoy life. Yeah, that's it. Just Keep enjoy it. it. Enjoy it's, your craft. Definitely. Yeah, that's the way I live by. Just enjoy life and have fun while you can because you never know what's going to happen. All right. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank all. You need major life realizing. Okay. Starting with baby super freaky here. That is freaky. Yes, you are a tiny god. All right, everybody, I'd like you to welcome Mr. J. Michael Tatum. You may know him as Kyoya from Orin High School Host Club or Sebastian from Black Butler or Tomoe from Kamasama Kiss. Yes. All right, our first outlet, if you have a question, come on up. Yeah, go for it. Don't be shy. <laughs> Hello, Robert from Blurdography. Hey. And happy belated birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you, Robert. I appreciate right. that. <laughs> You're welcome. I do love Orin High School Host Club. Can you tell us some of the differences between voice acting back then versus now? There's a few big differences now. Oron was recorded bef way before simuldubs were even a twinkle in Funimation's eye. And um, there's a very different process. There was back then, if you work on the show as a director or a writer or an engineer or an actor, you, especially as a writer, you had access to the whole Japanese production beforehand to have an idea of the sort of shape of the story and the various character arcs and how, where they started versus where they ended. And, um, she had more information to go on because the show wasn't coming out at the same time as the dub. And, and you also, the big change now, I think, and there, there's several I could cite. The biggest one is the pace at which we work now. Whereas in the old days, we would go by contract to contract. So when a contract for Funimation was usually about six episodes for the show. So here's six episodes. We're going to record this during this window of a month and a half, two months. And if you had a thousand lines in that six episodes, you had, you had six weeks to come in to do them over the course of six weeks. With the simuldub process, it's now we do one episode a week, sometimes less than a week. And so you have to, if you're, before you are considered for a role in a simuldub, you have to agree that you will be available for 12 weeks, for 16 weeks, however long the contract is, to be on call because they don't know how, how often they're going to need you in the booth from week to week until they get the line counts in. And they don't get them in until it's almost time to record, so... You know, you might, uh, as an actor, know that you have 
a hundred lines in episode one, but you might have two lines in episode two and then a thousand lines in episode three. So you just have to clear your schedule and hope that the hours add up in aggregate <laughs> in, in a way that makes it really interesting. It's, it's a very breakneck way to work. And sometimes it's burnout is real, but it can also be very creatively inspiring because we're discovering the character along with everyone else. <laughs> but I guess the major change from my perspective is back in the day, in the days of Oron and Black Butler and all that, we had a pretty good idea what was going to be popular in dub as long as we got it right, because we already, the show had been out in, in some form or fashion for the better part of a year by the time we get it to dub. And so we knew, for example, or had every reason to expect that Oron would be huge. And so they knew how much marketing and money to put into, to everything. And now it's far more, let's hope, <laughs> which is makes it more like traditional filmmaking where you're just, we think we've got a good thing. We'll see what audiences think about it. That's the big change. That's the big change is now kind of not knowing how it's going to do until it's out there, which is uh, sometimes fun, sometimes not so fun. It just depends. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the follow up on that, whether it turns out successful or not, you are in 11 of my top 20. <laughs> um, wow. Lucky me. I'm JB of JB versus the world. And my question is, you've had a long list of characters, mm. all of them vastly different. Mm. What do you channel to get to each different one? Because there's no way Irwin is like, oh, Ricochi or, or like a scar. But what do you do? That's the illusion. They are all just different facets of my own personality. I'm a believer in, I think, just in life that you are what the situation makes it. You are, you either rise to a situation. Who knows what Erwin is like in his private life? Maybe he's just like Rikichi. Uh, but when he has to command a bunch of soldiers to go into battle, he's got to channel the sort of personality and the voice and the energy that will get those people moving. Whereas Rikichi doesn't have to worry about that so much. So he can be a little more vulnerable on day to day, on day to day basis. So it's not so much that I am thinking about how different characters are to me. They're all just me. They're different facets of my own personality that are brought out by the particular story that person is in. For me, I think a character is about it. They are who they are because of the pressures that the story is putting on them to be that person. And so it's a function of the environment they're in. And if I'm just as an actor keyed into what that environment is, the voice just comes out. I don't craft anything, if that makes sense. I just respond to this, the, the circumstances. Like my, my, my teacher always says, uh, I have a, an acting guru, Steven Anderson, who's uh, my favorite teacher of all time. And I've had many. And he says, you can't play emotion, but you can play circumstance. And that's what you do. You can't fake being sad, but you can be you, but you can let the circumstances, the tragic circumstances your character is in really affect you if you believe in them. And that's what happens. So I suppose my range is just a function of me being very open to whatever the situation is I'm supposed to be in. And if I'm keyed into that, the character just comes out naturally. Does that make sense? That does. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Hey, how you doing? I'm Good. Mark from Blurdography. My question to you is when voice acting for say animation or film and mm -hmm. then video game is there a difference in how you approach voice acting for film and animation versus video games there's some overlap but there are differences the key difference when say doing anime is that it's all dubbed and one of the things we have to be aware of is timing the animation is in stone we cannot change that 
And of course, the big challenge is, you know, oh, I'm feeling it. I want to say the line this way and it may come up, but it may not work with the animation. It may not work with the timing that you have to fit the mouth movements, what we call flaps. And so you have to adjust. It's, I think, being a, an actor in a dub is more akin to being an ensemble musician where you have to play expressively and hit the right notes, but you also have to be aware of the rhythm and the timing so as not to screw up everyone else in the ensemble. You can't be too individualistic. On the flip side of that is prelay stuff, like for video games or film or prelay animation here in the States. The difference is that you're given this freedom where you go into the booth and record. You might not even know what the character is supposed to look like. That may still be in development while the scripts are being written. So sometimes you have some storyboards to work with, often not even that. And for video games, it's rare that you even see the other dialogue around what you're saying. It's just a spreadsheet of lines that your character is saying because they're, it works differently in a video game because they're recording multiple possibilities. So you're doing every scene different ways. And the director and, and the, the, the lore master, if there's a lore master there often is, and the writer have to tell you this is what's going on. And here's what you say if the player says this. Here's what you say if the player instead says this. So you're recording all these kind of probabilities. It makes it very interesting, but you're also not having to match specific timing. So you have a little more freedom. And that can be very disorienting if you're used to having the framework of a dub to work. And I did dubs before I did video games. And so video games were a bit of a mystery to me because I had to go in and be like, oh, I can just say whatever. There's no animation to match yet. There's, I just say the lines like I'm performing and on stage, but by myself. Okay. And I loved it and I hated it at the same time because I liked, I liked the structure of dubbing. That's what I was comfortable with. And that's the major difference though, is just the freedom versus the, the restriction. And it, they both come with a trade-off, but yeah, does that make sense? Cool. Cool. Thank you. Hi, Don. Hello. Do you have a favorite line from any of the characters that you ever done? Something that kind of sticks with you. There's a lot that sticks with me. I, I, I hesitate to say the, my favorite line, but I think the one that in recent memory that had the most impact is, is Commander Irwin's final speech. Uh, it's just a beautifully written speech. Aaron Dismuke, who adapted those scripts, uh, it was just sublime. And uh, it was a great moment. <laughs> I didn't know at the time it would have the impact it did. I know it hit me in the fields and, and it was really gratifying, very validating, in fact, to see people react to it and say, oh, captain, my captain kind of thing. And I didn't know if you told me at the time I was recording it and crying like a four-year-old <laughs> that people would, that bodybuilders would be coming up to my tail and be like, I listen to this when I'm deadlifting. And I'd be like, wow, <laughs> you do realize that means you're about to die. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that. That last scene of Erwin's actually has had such an impact on me as an actor and has connected me so much to that character in my own mind that I cannot bring myself to watch the show anymore after he died. And that's not because I'm salty about not getting work. It's just that I feel weird. I, I, I can't in good conscience know what he didn't get the chance to know. So as far as I'm concerned, I never made it to the basement either. And one day when I'm done grieving, I will watch the rest of the show because I understand it's pretty baller, but not ready yet. Not ready yet. Thank you. So I have had the wonderful experience of working with someone in the same field as myself. I looked at Mr. McInnes's line of work. I looked at your line of work. They are so huge. So there has to have been some crossover. Do you ever get to talk about your work or geek out or be a fan of each other's work? Oh, all the time. 
We're a married couple, so we get the same auditions. <laughs> we'll frequently ask each other's advice. Let me get you to hear this read and see what you think. And I'll be like, try this. And he'll do the same thing for me. We've gotten to be in shows together, of course, over the years. And that's always super fun because I love hearing him perform. And it's always a, I'm a big Meisner actor, which means I'm, I'm very outward directed. And, and I, my performance comes a lot from the person I'm acting off of. That's just a staple of Meisner technique. And so whenever I'm in a show with Brandon and I get to work off of him, I know I'm going to get, I'm, I know it's going to get good work out of me because he's, his performances are always so great and it's just so beautiful to listen to. Oh, but yeah, we totally nerd out for our stuff. We're both in Fire Emblem together. How cool is that? And then he'll, I'm not much of a gamer, but I do like to watch him play it and he'll play it. I'm like, oh, you sound so good. He's like, you're such a tank. <laughs> Yeah, it's super fun. It's super fun. And of course, we have friends in the business, too, that we've known for years that we either know because we've worked with them or we know in the con circuit. And a great example that I'm very happy about recently is a wonderful actor and teacher, Richard Horowitz, who has been an inspiration for me for years. And I've known him for quite a long time and think he's delightful, but we've never worked together before. It just our paths had never crossed in studio. But we're now both in the new Star Wars game together and we share many of our scenes together. And that's a highlight of my career. Like, finally, after all these years, I get to work with Richard Horowitz. That was super fun. But, oh, yeah, we're total nerds for what we do. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So I totally hit a PR while doing, listening to Erwin's speech before. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing that so much. That was totally me. <laughs> so what is a dream character that you wish you could? Was you an upcoming character or a past character that you wish you could have voiced? Oh, uh, if you got a short list, that's cool too. Hey, oh, I don't want to be coy, but let's just say there's a dream role that I got and it'll be coming out later this year. And I'm very excited about that. And that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Uh, let me start by saying that I had very little idea of what you looked like and that beard looks amazing on you. Uh, I'm Brian from the Explanation Point YouTube channel. I am very interested in adaptation and translation. Mm. And what I'd like to know is, do you, or did you back before the days of simuldubs, ever look at a Japanese voice actor's performance for inspiration or ways time. of doing delivery? Yeah. And are there all any good the, examples? All the time. When uh, There's so many examples, but the one that springs to mind immediately is the Seiyu in Signsgate, whose name oh, yeah. at the moment escapes me. Forgive me. I'm, it's Sunday at a con, and I'm like, it's that guy. <laughs> But I, I got to work on the, the adaptation with Patrick Seitz, the scripts. And so, of course, I was very familiar with his performance because I was writing the adaptations to it. And then, of course, in the booth, we always preview what we're looking at to match the energy and to see tonally what's going on in the scene. And even if you don't speak Japanese, and I don't really have a little bit, but not enough to be a translator by any means. I'm not as proficient as my husband, but good acting is good acting. And it comes through regardless of the language barrier, I think. And watching that performance just reduced me to tears every time and really put me in my head performing because I'm like, how am I going to match this guy? How on earth can I possibly do that? And, uh, but in a weird way that, that challenge really, I thought helped me perform because it gave me something to work against and through. But yeah, I'm frequently, especially a character like Okabe, he's so strange. And he's so larger than life in so many ways that it's like, how do you say this line? How would I make, how would I breathe life into that line without making it sound ridiculous? Because it should be ridiculous, but it also has to come from a real place because it's not meant to make the audience laugh. It's meant to give us some insight into how his mind works. And so I'd be like, how do I do that without reducing it to a joke? And I would always watch the say you and be like, ah, that's how you do it. 
Yeah, frequently, frequently. We well, pulled off Okabe amazingly. Thank you. Well, very thank much. you. The Japanese was a huge help. <laughs> How's it going? Good. How are you? Uh, thank you so much, Fix, for what you do. I really appreciate it. Well, thank um, you. My question for you. My name is Glenn, by the way. I'm with Complete Nerd Authorities. My question to you: How? What was your experience on Attack on Titans? I don't know if anybody asked that question. I came in late. Oh, I have so many stories from Attack on Titan. So. So let me paint a picture for you, if you like. I got to work on the first two seasons as the lead adaptive writer. Mm -hmm. so, I had, so I read ahead in the manga, which, of course, the show follows pretty religiously, uh, at least it had up until the seasons when I stopped watching it. Um, Love, hate, relationship, I understand. What's that? Love, hate, relationship, I understand. It's one of those things where I, were, I wrote the first or helped write the first two seasons, the adaptations, and then Aaron Dismute took over for season three and is still the lead writer for it, if I understand correctly. And, but I loved working on it. I loved coming in every day and not every day, but every time I had to come in to com record Commander Irwin was always a great experience because I love working with Mike McFarlane, yeah. who's one of my dearest friends, the dub director. He also plays on Kirstein in the dub beautifully, I might add. And every time I would come in, Mike is very military. And when he directs it, he takes on the persona necessary to, for the show he's directing. So for Attack on Titan, he is very, he's a little like Commander Irwin when he's directing me, which is perfect, I think. But I don't often read ahead or do much research into the roles I'm playing because I want to be surprised. I want my reactions to be genuine. So I don't like having to, I don't like going and knowing what's happening because I think it, I don't know, it just, it gets in the way. I get in my head about it. So if I'm let myself be surprised, I think my performance tends to be much more organic. But of course I knew that Commander Irwin was going to die. I'd read ahead when I was the writer and I knew it was coming right. in season three. I didn't know when. I just knew that every day that I was going to coming in the booth might be the last. And in retrospect, it was the perfect state of mind to be in, to play him in that season, because that's got to be on every soldier's mind. Is today the day? Is today the day that's I true. die? It's probably going to be it. And at one point, it's going to be that day. So every session I'd go in, and it's funny, you have to picture Mike McFarland, who is not a very effusive director. He's not like, oh, that was beautiful, perfect. He's more like, good, moving on. That's again, very Commander Irwin. There's not a lot of, it's the excellence is not rewarded, it's expected. And it's kind of perfect in that way, I think, for Attack on Titan. But again, he's a lovely man, so it's not who he is outside of the booth, just when he's directing that particular show. And I would come in every day and be like, is it today? And he'd be like, get out of your head. No, it's not. Come on, get in the booth. We got work to do. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then the day, when it was the day, I walked in. I was like, hey. And he's like, how you doing today, man? You doing okay? And I was like, Oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, we previewed it and I saw it all happen. And I was like, here we go. That's oh, Captain, my captain. And we did it. And then we both had a nice little cry fest, hugged each other, went out for drinks. And that was it. So, yeah, but that was one of my favorite experiences in the show in retrospect of being like, wow, even Mike. <laughs> and there is I and I hadn't performed that character now for three years. I guess it's been about three years since yeah. he died. And uh, I got called in. Oh, my God. I just sorry. I, I got called in by my agent. We're like, hey, yeah, uh, Crunchyroll wants you to come in uh, to do some Attack on Titan. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who, who's watched it, but I can't not spoil it. without. I can't tell the story without spoiling it, so forgive me. Uh, Pre-warning to anyone that's listening. Um, Hanji is my favorite character from the show. I love Hanji. I loved writing Hanji when I was writing it. I love watching Jessica Cavello's performance as Hanji. I think Hanji is... One of my favorite characters in anything I've ever seen. I just love them. And I always thought Hanji would make it. I always just thought Hanji would make it. I just thought Hanji will make it to the end. And when I got called in, I was like, I made some joke with Mike. I was like, is Commander Irwin coming back as a force ghost? What's going on? 
and Mike was in a state. And I was like, shit, what now? And he showed me that Anji was on the other side and, yeah. and having this vision of Commander Irwin being like, yo. <laughs> and it was just this beautiful moment. And I just, you have to picture like Mike is in the Zoom call with his engineer and I'm in LA with my engineer. We're recording it remotely because I live in LA now. And so that's a big change from when the last time I did Erwin versus now. And I was like coming back for this. And Mike was like, yeah, so this is going to be pretty rough. And I'm like, oh, shit. And he showed me this. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be real rough. <laughs> and there it is. And Jessica wasn't even recorded yet. But I know that performance so well that I could hear her in my head. And I was just having to be strong. <laughs> to be like, hey, welcome. <laughs> let's, let's talk about how much it sucks being the commander. And it's a beautiful little scene. And when we were done, Mike was like, yeah, good job. <laughs> Both of our engineers were in tears for one line. It's one line. It is. You know, and it? it's hot, but it's just the way it, it just stabs you right through the heart. And that, that working on that show was just filled with moments like that. And as, as much of an emotional roller coaster as it is, what a gift as an actor to have that kind of connection to a property that you can walk in and be like, man, I am not the same person when, as when I woke up this morning because yeah. I said this line in this situation. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. But yeah, I hope that answered your question. I'm not even sure. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who is this? I don't know. He's glorious. He's just like you, but way better. Way better. Thank you. No, it's not a compliment. I wouldn't touch him if I were you, buddy. Yeah, I don't think I should touch him. You don't mind, do you? Cause I'm your buddy too. I think he's gonna. You. He punches so hard, but yet his hands are so soft. Be strong. Okay, bye. Okay, this is the lovely Miss Yaya Han, a cosplay ambassador who also has a lovely line of cosplay fabrics. So, yes. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm Mark. I'm from Blurdography. And my question to you is this. Uh, you are basically the creme de la creme of cosplay when everyone, who everyone wants to aspire to be. My question to you is how, let me roll it in a different way. How do you feel knowing that the entire community looks up to you as a beacon of hope of something that they aspire to become? Heavy questions. <laughs> to kick off this this interview. Yeah, thank you very much. I have been cosplaying for over 20 years. I feel very lucky that I just discovered cosplay a very long time ago and at a young enough age that I could really devote my life to it. And I have grown up within the cosplay community and the convention world. And this is not only like the thing that I know the most about, but it's the world that I, means the most to me because it's shaped me in every way. And while I started out cosplaying just for fun, I do understand and recognize that I am a person with a far-reaching influence and that lots of people look up to me. And it is a, it's an honor. It's uh, a big responsibility. There, it's pressure sometimes. But for the most part, I'm just really grateful to still be able to do this. And it's like how many people can say that they've been able to do the same thing that they love for 20 some years. I think there are moments where uh, the community 
expects a lot from me, especially now that I work with uh, companies like Joanne and uh, create resources for cosplayers. And I think a lot of times projects that I'm involved with and that my name is on, the people that see it, they just put all the expectations on me, not knowing that behind the scenes, there are a lot of other factors and things that I can't control. So sometimes it is a lot of pressure to want to do right by the community. But for the most part, I just want to continue to give back to the community and create more resources and make it easier for more people to get into cosplay and cosplay like at ease, like where they can really do it without uh, feeling so much anxiety around it. Because I think this is a kind of a um, high pressure type of unique uh, art form that requires a lot from you. So I just want many more people to feel comfortable within it. So sorry, very long winded answer. <laughs> Thank you. How you doing? Hi, I'm uh, yeah, You actually took my whole question, so I'm actually redirecting it. Because you've been doing cosplaying for, my name is Glenn, I'm with Completing Our Authority. I'm sorry, I just get straight into conversations. So because you've been doing cosplay for a very long time, what has been your uh, reset? And when I mean my reset, what has rejuvenated you? Because sometimes you go through the motion, right? Mm -hmm. and sometimes you need to just step back to regenerate yourself to be able to continue doing what you're doing. What What is that for you? And also, too, how do you encourage others to do the same thing? Because like you said, it's a high pressure thing, right? Mm -hmm. So what, how do you explain to them, hey, you need to find something that just separates you from it so that you can reset and come back to it? Does that make sense to what I'm saying? I totally makes sense. Okay. And as for the reset, the last big reset that I had was during the pandemic. 100%. I feel like there were a few years where I was doing a lot of guest appearances and do, do creating like the fabric lines and, and all the different things that I was doing. And it did become a little bit stagnant. And, and I, then I wrote my book called Yaya Han's World of Cosplay in uh, 2019 and expected it to come out in 2020, be able to do a big book tour about it. And I actually like for a little bit had this grandiose fantasy of like, it will lead me to other opportunities and maybe that's eventually be my exit strategy from cosplay or something. Like I was just like, didn't know what, I just hyped up the book a lot and thought that it was going to be like this big thing. And then the pandemic hit, <laughs> my book tour was canceled. Every convention that I had um, contractually obligated to go to was canceled. And I basically spent two years at home uh, making face masks and just having an existential crisis over what it is that I did with my life. But then during the pandemic, I also started to really like focus back in on the creativity. So it's like I started building photo sets and I started making costumes of characters that I was just into. I didn't have an obligation to go to a con. I could literally just be like, oh, I'm watching Cells at Work. I love White Blood Cell. I'm going to just make that costume and do bloody photo shoot and stuff. And it was just really refreshing to remember why I love cosplay to begin with and that it was about the characters and about creating an environment and telling a story. And I also, I think, really reset my priorities. It, it wasn't like, oh, I need to like continue to push higher 
and do more things and climb higher or something. It became more important to me to be like, when I have the chance to meet people again and go back to conventions again, I want to just appreciate being with them. And that's what I've been doing for the last year is now conventions are back and I just am so much more invigorated meeting everyone and I pick costumes that I personally love and I don't really care about whether it's popular or not. And weirdly enough, it's led me to other opportunities. Like my newest project that I just teased the other day is I'm going to be the official Chun-Li for Street Fighter VI coming out. So it's like those types of things. I'm just like that. I think a few years ago, I would have been like, yeah, I need to, what do I need to do to achieve that? But now it's because I just went back to the creativity and the love of it that's led to that. Yeah, I'm just so happy and grateful to be here. So thanks, MomoCon, for having me. The way that I encourage others is to, first, I tell them to read my book because I think... I think I, for many people, I give off that either intimidating air or that I have everything figured out. And I think through the book, they can really get to know me and get to know the, the insecurities and the vulnerability, things that I can't really show that easily at a con. And I tell them that they can absolutely work at their own pace and that they should always choose characters to be that they love. It has to come from the heart. You can't maintain a cosplay journey when you cosplay characters that you think other people will like or you think that other people expect or other people tell you that you would look good at or that are popular because you want to like go viral or something. You know, you can't maintain that. For someone like me who's been doing it for 20 years, the only reason I'm able to continue being excited about cosplay is I continue to choose projects and characters that mean a lot to me personally. So that is my advice for them. And it sounds very, I think, very beginner. It's, oh, it's a beginner tip, but it's truly the most important tip. It's the, the thing that I wish that I'd been told over the years. And to, to just like never stray from that. Don't ever think, I need to make this because of this opportunity or something. It's like, no, I have to make this because I, I love this character. I want to be this character. Hello, Robert from Blurtography. Hi. So you talk about you started cosplay as a hobby and been doing it for over 20 years. Can you talk a little bit about when Yaya Han became a business with your honeycomb textured fabric and your book and all the accessories and things like that? I am uh, definitely what you would call, I, I used to grassroots strategy. <laughs> As in, when I got into cosplay, the early 2000s there, they, it was like, you, we couldn't even dream of making it as a living. There was no community. There was like no industry. And I started off with doing commissions because that was like the one thing that some people were willing to pay for. They saw something I wore and they wanted me to make it for them. So that was either accessories or parts of a costume and eventually turned into full costume commissions. And so I ventured into doing a commission business in 2005, which I had no idea what I was doing and did that for about a year and was completely burnt out trying to make costumes for private clients, private people. And then I pivoted with my husband. We 
thankfully did it together. And we pivoted towards making smaller, more affordable accessories. So like the kitty ears that I'm wearing here, they're made out of resin. I sculpted them originally, designed them, and we have been making these kitty ears for 18 years now and selling them at conventions, selling them online. And so we were like making little cosplay accessories under $20, $25 is what allowed me to continue to go to conventions. So I would go and sell in Artist Alley and then eventually in, at, a, at a vendor booth. And, but then I would cosplay as well. And then I started also <clears throat> at the beginning competing for a couple of years until the conventions said that they wanted me to judge instead. I had more and more reasons to go to conventions because I could sell there. The conventions wanted me to do panels. They wanted me to judge. Even when I was like considered a guest at a convention in the mid 2000s something, I wasn't getting paid because no one paid cosplayers. We were like the fan guests. So we were lucky if we got a badge. We were lucky if we could split a room with like staff members or something. I have done all of that. And I think it wasn't until Heroes of Cosplay, which was the first network TV show about cosplay on sci-fi in 2013, that after Heroes of Cosplay aired, that is when I was able to start negotiating appearance fees with conventions. I could actually present myself as a personality because now I've been on TV. I can like, they're, they're just like, oh, there's value in that. Maybe we'll pay you something. <laughs> it's but then, like, I still continue my small business with the accessories because this is mine. It's my IP. It's a, it's a copyrighted design. It's something that no one else owns. And so that's, it's been very important for me to continue this line and being able to continue making and offering it. And they're still handmade here in the United States. We, like, do them all still by hand with a very small team. And I think after Heroes of Cosplay is when I was able to, it snowballed a little bit, right? I started making patterns for the McCall Pattern Company in 2015. And in the same year, a fabric manufacturer contacted me about creating a fabric line and they sold it to Joanne. And so that is how the Yaya Han fabric collection came about in Joanne. And then from then on, it's, you know, it's like it, there have been many different other collaborations in the sewing and crafting space. And I have another one. I have a really big collaboration coming out in just a couple months that I can't talk about yet. But it's great for me to make products that are geared towards cosplayers because I am tried and true user. So I can really come from the standpoint of this is what we need because. I have used fabrics and I don't like when the fabrics do this. So I want them to do that. And so I can really pinpoint for durability, for unique finishes, for like ease of sewing and such. And so it's been, it's like I am a self-made businesswoman who didn't go to college because I immigrated to the United States when I was way too young and didn't have money. But all my experiences within the cosplay uh, you know, space is what gave me the knowledge to be able to do these, like, sometimes global collaborations. So, again, I'm very grateful to this community. Well, thank you so much, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you.
How you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Doing all right. JB, JB versus the world. Jamie versus the world. Dang. <laughs> now, before the 20 years in the game, business, cosplay, before all that, you were a nerd first. Yes. What was your ner nerdy origin story? How'd you get started down there? All right. My nerdy origin story is very simple. I was born in China and I moved to Germany like when I was like eight or nine years old. But right before I moved, I, I was old enough to understand some of the anime that were playing on TV because China being so close to Japan had tons of anime on TV. Saint Seiya was my first anime that I watched in Chinese. <laughs> and China also had a lot of manga translations. And so I read Rama, I read, oh my God, Dragon Ball, of course, and just different. Oh yeah, definitely a lot of clamp mangas. I don't know if anybody is a clamp fan, but like X1999 or RG Veda, those types of manga. And I came to Germany as a young child with almost like the secret knowledge of like anime and manga, because in Germany, no one knew about it. And whenever I would go back to China to visit family every year, I would just binge watch anime as well as binge read manga. I would literally bring back a suitcase full of manga. And it was interesting because I was just my own little world being like this anime fan. And very slowly, Germany started to have a little bit of an anime community. And but then I, I moved to the United States. <laughs> as a teenager and really when i arrived in the united states that's when i really encountered the real anime community i joined an anime club and i went to my first convention which was anime expo 1999 and i lost my mind because yoko kano was there and did a concert and we had just watched cowboy bebop because that also came out around that time and so we got to watch her play the piano live on stage. And that was it. That was just it. I was like, what do I have to do to be in this world? What can I do to go to the next convention? Like anything. I would have done anything. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's always been a part of me. I think it's like, no matter what, I would have ended up in this world somehow. If I hadn't been a cosplayer, I would have become an artist or who knows what. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. The cosplay community, as large as it is, also very divisive. There are yes. a lot of issues within the cosplay community, mm -hmm. from crafting versus buying, mm -hmm. to certain people can't cosplay certain characters. Mm -hmm. uh, would you care to speak on any divisiveness within the cosplay community that has personally affected you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ah. Divisiveness in the community has personally affected me. I did write about it in my book. I have a whole section in... The book called The Duality of Cosplay. And I write about what it's like to receive negativity, the, the body issue for female cosplayers, and like how cosplay is not consent was created and the movement became larger. I also have a chapter on racism and blackface in cosplay. And so I really have obviously, I, I, I don't, I know the cosplay community is not all sunshine and rainbows. So I specifically wanted to write about it, but I also, of course, have always thought about these things and thought about like, why? Why does it happen? Why do people leave shitty comments? Why 
Do they say that when I do a cosplay of Jessica Rabbit or Wonder Woman that, yeah, you're fine, but you're like the Asian version of Wonder Woman or something. So it's, of course, those things have affected me. It's always affected me. But I think by just understanding that a lot of people that find cosplayers, they have no idea that it is a form of self-expression, that our goal as cosplayers is not to perfectly replicate a character and be the spitting image of the character. Cosplay is a way for us to connect with the character and make the character a part of us. And so in that sense, it's perfectly fine for cosplayers to be different than the characters because we're just fans. But people that find you online and they, they just are just like, you don't match the image that I have in my head of, of this character. And they feel entitled to speak on it because they also love the character and they're familiar with the character. So they think, I'm allowed to say that you're, you're not the right body type to, to cosplay this. It's, oh yeah, this character, sure, you're this character, but they ate too many cookies. So it's, and I always try to think about it as these comments are not about me because they don't know me. Or, and I try to tell other cosplayers to try to remove themselves from it because it's, it is not about you. It is about an image that they saw for one fleeting second online. I think we actually, this morning, I had a panel with the Alley Cat cosplay and Storyteller cosplay that, where we talked about exactly this, this issue in cosplay that there, we need more support and we need to educate each other more to, yeah, to make sure everyone knows that this is a fan expression, that the whole point is that you should change the character so that it says something about you. Accuracy be damned. I've said that for years. None of my costumes are accurate. I always make changes to them and I always add something of my own flair to it. I've done it since the beginning. I hope other people can really, you know, speak on that and be able to create more acceptance and more understanding that everyone should be allowed to do this and in their own way. Chris Carthern with Cosplay Alliance. In the past, you've mentioned that when you first started to become a professional, you didn't have the support of your mom. How did that affect you? Then has she come around? <laughs> My unsupportive mom who just, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely a very notorious thing. I, um, for me, that, that, that I grew up with a mom who thought my manga and anime obsession was a little weird and that once I started cosplaying, she was very skeptical. She was like, it's too revealing or you're wearing too much makeup or, and then it was like, you're wasting your time doing this. When I quit my job to do cosplay, she was just like, what? And of course she has turned around and I have put a lot of effort into showing her what this world is really about. The biggest impact that I had on my mom was taking her to a convention and she could witness firsthand what it was like then. And then for the fact that people were actually buying things. Oh, people actually buy these little kitty ears or wait, they buy pictures of my daughter. And then she spoke to my fans who told her like how much I influenced them and how much of an inspiration I was to them. And she was like, yeah, yeah, this is like a thing. I was like, yes, I've been trying to tell you for years. 
But the great thing is as soon as my mom got what I was doing and she knew it was a valid form of income, I think the Asian mom in her was like, all right, she won't starve. <laughs> then she became actually very supportive. And I am very grateful to cosplay because I'm able to see my mom a lot more because she lives in Germany. And I am able to go to conventions in Europe and schedule trips with her. Like I just met her in Prague a couple weeks ago because she was like, you're going to be in the Czech Republic for a convention? Can we go to Prague? So I'm like, for sure, fly over. And I'm going to see her in 10 days because I'm doing a convention in Luxembourg that is three hours from her house. So I'll be able to visit her and have her spoil me a little bit and then go to the con. So we've really grown a lot closer as mother and daughter, like the more successful I've become as a cosplayer. And I think lots of parents, that's all they want. They just want to know that their kids have a stable future and steady income. And for something like cosplay, it is still, it's a little unsure sometimes. But I, I meet more and more families that really support their kids. And I always tell the parents, like, thank you for supporting your child, because this is something really worthwhile doing.